Hamilton comes out onto the racetrack now. And is he going to be ahead of Lando Norris? That's the big key. No, he's not. And there's Max Verstappen right behind Hamilton into the first chicane once again. It's wheel to wheel. Hamilton and Verstappen. Oh. And this time Verstappen and Hamilton have crashed out. And they are both out. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Undercut Podcast. We're back in the nick of time. When I say in the nick of time, I'm technically, or probably as you're listening to this, packing and getting ready to fly to Italy for the Italian Grand Prix. Yes, this is another episode of the podcast where I crow very smugly about going off to watch Formula One live in a foreign country. But that's besides the point. This is a podcast and you want to hear all about the upcoming Grand Prix and our predictions. So we'll crack on with that. And I say we because it is not just I. I'm joined by Timo Albus Daly. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm looking forward to Monza. And after the Dutch Grand Prix that we had last weekend, if that's the appetismo, then I'm looking forward to the main course. Yeah, could be interesting for Italians hoping to enjoy their home Grand Prix, uh, unless those Italians are Max Verstappen fans. But we'll get into that. Um, if you're waiting for us to introduce Ellie Mae Taylor, she is not here because we record this on a Monday and she... She got too many penalty points in her podcast licence and she's just uh, having to sit it out, unfortunately. But she should be back for the Monza Review episode. Yeah, we've uh, we've had to move Chen Bollock Bassi around, and I can't remember who we've brought in to replace who, but the the long and the veiny of it is that Sergio Setacamera is now in her seat. Um, anyway, we'll move on to what the hell... He's doing admin, so that's why you're not listening to, to That's why you can't hear him on this episode. Yeah, Sergio Setacamera is... He's, he's, he's here in spirit. He's currently writing her key takeaways for the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, anyway, we'll move on to what the hell has happened... And we'll open up with some bad news for Ferrari fans, as they are going to be running a special livery in Monza. Or at the very least, they're running special race suits, which are sort of white and yellow. And the white is possibly just a white flag of surrender at this point. Honestly, unclear. They released a tweet earlier today with some sort of very dark black and white photographs of Sean and Carlos in white race suits. Yeah, not sure what that's about, why it's necessary. They... Yeah, I mean, it's unclear, much like most of their strategy for this year, and last time they had special livery of any kind, it was the 1000th race Ferrari at Mugello in 2020, and uh, yeah, that went swimmingly for, oh wait, no, it didn't do it terribly. Um, so, yeah, not entirely, maybe there's a car that they're trying to promote, which again seems odd for Ferrari, but honestly, it's probably the closest Mick Schumacher's going to get to looking like he's driving a Ferrari, because they'll be pretty much identical on the race suits by the look of things. Um, but not really much else to say on that one. It's just going to be another painful, painful weekend for Ferrari fans, but for a different reason. So, which kind of leads nicely into the second point here, which is that Mick Schumacher has officially left the Ferrari Driver Academy, which, with all the rumours about him joining Alpine for next year, leads more credence to that. I'll circle back to you in a second, Jesse, when I've just finished off this. But interesting that Mick has left essentially because he doesn't see anything changing in the top of Ferrari anytime soon in terms of driver lineup, and with seeing how they're handling strategy and bungling a championship this year, he may just not want to join them, and he's got a lot of interest in him, supposedly from the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull, so if he does find himself out of a seat for next year, maybe he gets to become a reserve driver for one or more teams that are depending, or go to Formula E, but either way, there's renewed interest in him at least, so... 
heavily before I drove down the road. It's a bit sad for people wanting to emulate it further. Not the end of the world, I reckon. Yeah, certainly the end of the world for him. There's interest in him outside of the Ferrari Driver Academy. But cycling back to why Ferrari could be running white, um, I did, had a bit of a, a sort of Google, and um, Alfredo Ferrari, uh, better known as Dino Ferrari, the first son of Enzo Ferrari, born in 1932, which would make this his 90th anniversary, would have been his 90th birthday this year. So he's doing the math, yes. So potentially they're celebrating that? I don't know, it's a bit of a reach. A little bit of clutching at straws, I suppose, but it is Ferrari, so I can't really rule that out. I don't know, That's just, I'm trying to think of a reason why they're running white race suits, and possibly a special just surrender, livery. like you said, I think you had that straight off the bat. I do, they're just surrendering, and this is the formal way they can do it, and they thought, what better place to do it than Monza? We won't annoy anyone there if we surrender. They will be rioting in the streets. Anyway, we'll move on from Ferrari and the Ferrari Driver Academy to a different Driver Academy and the Alpine Driver Academy. Different rioting. Alpine Driver Academy, which has now provided McLaren with a driver in Oscar Piastri. Uh, We obviously heard... Finally confirmed. Finally confirmed. We heard it before the Dutch Grand Prix. We just sort of saved the news for the preview episode. Otherwise, there's very little that goes into these. Um, And yeah, Piastri's off to McLaren, which... uh, mixed feelings on that one still partly because McLaren isn't doing brilliantly at the moment but it's a great landmark team to go to yeah. it's like Jensen Button was saying the other day it's a bit too early in your career especially when you're not even in F1 yet to be making so many enemies and they had that nice little article out on F1 with Ron Puerto and as nicely as it was written you've got to take it with a pinch of salt surely because it does seem very course correctionally and deliberate and let's make everyone stop hating Oscar and McLaren for everything and put the blame back on Alpine when in reality it's probably they've both got dirty fingers and it's just not great by either of them and I think the whole thing has been handled a lot better anyway and okay maybe you've got the press to blame a little bit for that because there's always a juicy story but it, it went from out, just outcry that Oscar wouldn't be on the grid this year to a lot of people not being too bothered about him joining at McLaren of all places. Like, McLaren's normally and historically a brilliant team, maybe turning him into Williams with the rate is going um, in terms of its downward spiral. Um, and an exciting driver, Oscar Piastri, but you just kind of maybe when it gets close to the opening race of 23, we'll start to get excited, but at the moment, I'm just over it. To be honest, it's like, cool, we've got another driver, but... Eh. Yeah, the news for it's gone on so long, I've sort of lost interest in the story. It's dragged out a little too long, and, yeah, Jensen was right in saying it's it's quite early on in your career to start making, not necessarily enemies, but start certainly start sort of crossing well, names out of your, yeah, your little black book. It's not what you want to be doing. And, yeah, it's... It's just odd, and also the way that McLaren went about this, they had the, a contract signed with him quite early, at a point where they were still pushing Danny Rick to say he was still sort of determined to be with the team for a while. If it, if it was signed when they claim it was signed, there would have been discussions a few months back, which means they're pretty much coming into the twenty-two season, abandoning Ricardo, and that. You can't really spin that. No. Because it just means that you were never going to give him a chance. Yeah, you can't put any positive spin on that, and I think, unfortunately, the way it's worked out is it's tainted McLaren a bit in this instance and they as much sort of as everyone loves them and everyone's a big sort of Lando Norris fan everyone likes Danny Rick you can't help look at McLaren and think ooh that was a bit 
conniving, isn't it? Pick it out, isn't I mean, it's it? kind of like Steven. they've gone back and watched some of Sky's Race to Perfection series and they got to the Ron Dennis episode and thought, oh, we should copy him. Yeah. We should be a little bit controversial. And then realised a bit, maybe they'll realise a bit later, oh, no, that's that's not what we meant to do there. We meant to do the opposite of that. Yeah, it's something about it. It just seems it's left. You can't think of McLaren without feeling a bit sour, even if you're not the biggest Danny Rick fan, without feeling a bit sour in the mouth about how they've treated him this season and the way they've sort of held things from him and the fact that he's been sort of like reportedly sort of pouring his heart out in big sort of team wide meetings, saying, "Look, I'm here to do my best for this team." Meanwhile, days later or hours before, I can't remember the way the timeline works. They're signing a deal with Oscar Piastri to boot this guy out of the team. And yeah. and you've got to think as well that for a team where they're making such bold calls so early on in the season and looking at all the drivers they keep switching around and adding to their wider driver company and other racing series as well, making all these big moves to, and getting all these sponsors on board as well to make it look like they're doing a really fantastic job. But they've got quite little to show for it, especially this year. I mean, F1 gone, and they're looking like they're going to get beaten by Alpine unless they can pull the thumb out sharpish. Extreme E first season in there, but it's not going as well for them as they would have liked so far. Bit of bad luck, but still. Formula E, they've acquired a team for next year, and they've hired at least one driver for there, but again, it's not a driver we would have thought would have been going there, considering all the other drivers that they do have. Um, so Jewelry's still out of it there, and IndyCar, the two drivers that are in the championship for them, the best chance they've got is Pato Award, and even then, it doesn't look like it's going to go his way, barring some chaos this Sunday. So it just seems like there's a lot of talk, but not much to back it up with. And so, if they are doing what I said earlier, kind of copying Ron Dennis and the controversial approach, at least Ron Dennis had a, a shitload of championships to back himself up with. I was trying to think of a better way to, a best swear way to say that, but there isn't really one. Um, and he's got kind of the, the record to back it up, whereas. They're instead abandoning so early on in the 22 season the one driver who's been able to win them a race since 2013. Yeah. And, oh, he's not doing a good enough job for us. He's done what Lando hasn't been able to do. And like we said previously, he could have had a triple header win last year and didn't for a variety of different reasons. And Ricardo managed to pull off that, that expert masterclass at, at, Mon- at Monza. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's just a bit piss poor. Yeah, I mean, Lando was close to him in Monza, but equally, had the weather been better, we could have seen a Norris win in Spa. I think that's the other thing. And yeah, but it's the thing we can do if it's and ladies as until the cows come home, but the results at the end of the day are they've had excellent drivers in their cars in 2013, and Ricardo is the only one who's been able to do anything with it in terms yeah. of a race win and getting them that, that, that win in from them. Yeah, but then you look at all the other podiums that have come from it as well, and they've all been they've all been Lando Norris. So, it, but to quote Alonso from a couple of weeks ago, if you're not first, you're last. So it doesn't really matter where you are after after that. You you don't remember who came second at the 1994 French Grand Prix. I mean, you might because you're a bit of a a tactician and a bit of an F1 nerd like that. But the average Joe, if you ask Eddie May that question, she's not going to know the answer probably. She might do because she'll listen to this episode after you message her and tell her to do it. But, generally speaking, and you're Googling now, which means you can't remember it. I can't remember it, but I want to say it was... Mansell, I want to say. But... 
Here we are. Even if even if you're right, you you've got someone who's well versed in F1 lore and he's struggling to remember. So point Ooh, is still no. very much valid. No, it wasn't. And he's wrong. <laughs> um, the 72 lap race was won by Michael Schumacher driving a Benetton Ford. It was Schumacher's sixth victory in seven races. Damon Hill finished second in a Williams Renault. Was Matt Slaver still racing at this point? I think he was. Was he? No, it's fucking Mark. That would also mean you're definitely wrong. <laughs> Miles off. Where the hell do I get that idea from? <laughs> Kind of an idiot says Mansell from 1994. Honestly. Anyway. Being a Ferrari fan is getting contagious. It's affecting his decisions and his memory. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, yes. Um, that's probably a good point to move. Shuffle on quickly from Oscar Piastri joining McLaren. Um, but the thing is, it does still leave a seat open at Alpine. And I've been doing some digging. I've been tapping up some contacts, doing a bit of sniffling around, trying to find out... Who's in the running for this? Because there seems to be every name under the sun floated for this. and It's probably just easier to name the drivers that aren't in the running for this. It'd be a shorter list. Well, it is a relatively short list, actually. The short list is four at the moment. One of them is obvious, Pierre Gasly. Uh, then there's two more that you might not anticipate. And I said, the reason we're not talking about Pierre Gasly is because we saw all of that last week. Oh, yeah, we talked and about all that last week. Deep dives into that, so if you missed that, do go back and listen to our thoughts on that. Yeah. Um... Then there's two other drivers, which I know the names of, and then there is a fourth one that I don't know, but I know there is still a potential fourth option that Alpine is considering. Um, I know loads of drivers that that fourth seat isn't, and that isn't Drugovic, it isn't Schumacher, which is interesting. Um, it isn't anyone American. Surprising. Uh, but the two names that I do know are De Vries and Nico Hulkenberg. Which... I'm split on. Uh, De Vries, happy. Yes, give him the seat. I'd be happy with that. If he can't get into Williams next to Alex Albon, stick him in Alpine. He's a world champion in Formula E and a really good little driver. I mean, Formula 2 champion as well. I think I can't remember from which year off the top of my head. 2019. 2018. 2019, that's the one. Um, Where well, he narrowly beat Nicholas Latifi. In his fourth year in the campaign, I might add that. Yeah. doing a record there of yeah maybe maybe next year's Latifi's year if he stays um, and takes him four years to second, win second, second place takes him f- yes, yeah but then he's second place in the world championship oh true god um, there's a bold prediction um, but yeah 2024 Latifi no world champ no 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 2023 <laughs> 2023 because um, then he's going to do a Rosberg and retire um but yeah, DeFries, absolutely happy for that. He deserves a shot. And some people might say, what about Van Dorn? Yes, he had a chance in F1 before, but it was not the best shot in F1. But I also think that it might do him more harm than good to come back to F1. So I think he should go off to IndyCar or something. And he's got nothing left to prove in Formula E as it is. Neither of them do. So to see DeFries finally get that shot in F1 after going away and winning another championship and becoming a bona fide world champion in his own right, it would be great for him to then come in and develop with, with Alpine and again Ocon being a former Mercedes man um, be interesting there to see two of them in the same same team there and seeing what that's like and the knowledge that they will both have that they can bring to Alpine to help them develop even further to maybe take it up to try and battle for P3 in the Constructors next year especially um, given the amount of time we've seen Nick DeVries spending with Toto Wolff over race yeah, weekends recently he, much bring your son to work he has looked like a mini-me there was a brilliant shot of them earlier both of them sort of frowning at the screen both of them with their jumper over their shoulders tied across them I was like it's, it's like mini-me from Austin Powers 
But anyway, yes, yeah, so Nick DeVries is in the running for the Alpine seat, apparently. Which does make you question whether or not Latifi's staying at Williams. If DeVries would have intentionally been going to Williams, given the Mercedes links. It, it, it brings up the drivers that weren't in the running, your Schumachers, your Americans, your Ricardos even. Yeah. Um, maybe they want to have a look there and see what happens if they decide they don't want to keep a TV. Mm-hmm. But talking briefly on Hulkenberg, it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but again, I'm going to reiterate, I can like a driver and still not want something for them because of professional reasons. And for me, this is why I don't want anyone who... Is either who's been in F1 already to come back into F1 again, um, once, with the exception of being Ricardo, if he doesn't get a seat for next year, what, he's the only exception I will make. For what this. about Albon? Um, when he left and came back, I'm, yeah, you get a free pass when Red Bull screw you over. To be fair, um, and Alex Albon, we we knew there was potential there. The likes of Danny Kvyat, Brendan Hartley, and all the other drivers that have been in that second uh, Red Bull seat and the Alfa Tauri Toro team they were never going to get there anyway. But Alex Elbon was rushed too soon there, so I give him a free pass there. Um, but everyone else, no, you had your chance, and that's harsh maybe, because Hulkenberg, he was, he was a very exciting talent when he was coming up, and was really on the cusp of it a few times in, in F1, with, with Sauber, I want to say. Um, and I seem to remember Brazil being a very close thing for him on that one, but I can't remember if that was Sauber or not. Um, but F1 is doing too much of this let's bring back drivers who had an alright career but nothing brilliant and nothing against Hockenberg I love the man but he doesn't deserve a seat in Formula 1 you can't be justifying it and the same for people like Giovinazzi, like Van Dorn uh, you can't be bringing them back when you have F2 champions who can't even get a reserve driver role with an F1 team. And when you've got people, as much as me like Yuki, he was what, third in the championship. You should be coming first or second of England in. That is it. And maybe we caught notes are fair enough there because it's a slightly unknown territory there. So willing to explore that. But in terms of bringing back a driver who had a good few seasons in the team, or in, in the sports, and who has been back in F1 this year for the first two races, and okay, it was Aston Martin, so it was a bit of a kick in the balls, but still didn't do brilliantly upon his comeback. What makes you think that if you stick him in the Alpine, he's going to do amazing things? Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think he should get priority over the Drogovic or De Vries. Yeah, I couldn't comment on which sort of race it was close for uh, Hulkenberg for nearly getting that sort of elusive podium, but he's come fourth a lot of times. He's got... He's got the skills, he's got the ability to do it, and we saw some good stuff from him in that racing point back in 2020 when he sort of deputised. And... But it just reiterates what I keep saying, good drivers and great drivers, and you only want great drivers in F1. You can be good, and Hulk's good, but is he great? No. Potentially we've never seen the greatness because he's always been, had a tricky chassis. I mean, Force Indias, yeah, the old you're just, you're, Malia You're trying chassis. to change history and you're saying if, buts and maybes again, and as nice as that is... And maybe this is the thing, but then what's he going to do? Is Alpine next year, they're not going to actually win the World Championship. How long do you keep him in that car for? A season? Two seasons? They're not going to be World Champions in 23 or 24, barring major, major upgrades. So you're just delaying the seat for Jack doing them and buggering De Vries in the meantime. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he did have a year on the sidelines as well. He 
2011 he was sidelined as the Force India reserve driver. So, I mean, he's already been out of Formula 1, essentially, and come back into a consistent driving seat. And, yeah, I don't know. I want to... S- I want a bit of me wants to see him in a decent car and see what he can do. Well, then talk to the, talk to the FIA and the stewards and tell them that Andretti and we can have more seats and then we don't need to be having these arguments. This is very true. I mean, put that Porsche discussion with Red Bull is apparently broken down. So if Porsche really want to come into Formula yeah, so One, exactly what I said last week. Just bring Porsche and properly out of team. Yeah. Same with Audi. You know, Audi with Hulkenberg in twenty six. There you go. If you really want to make it happen. Porsche Andretti with Hulkenberg. I'd go for that. But yeah, so he's he's on the list of four, and then there is the mystery fourth person whom I don't know. I haven't managed to find any. Story. Jamie Chadwick. It's a bold call, and I. Yeah. I might as well say it. It's got as much chance of happening as it doesn't but you know I might as well say yeah I mean like I said it's not going to be Americans which sort of rules out Colton Herter really coming over it depends whether or not they can get super license points sorted so Ricardo would be the obvious fourth choice for me to be honest he would be but he that was he was overheard in the paddock talking about taking a year out and coming back in in 2024 with he was chatting with yeah, Sergio Perez overheard by who and who's got the, who wants to report what and all this kind of stuff so it was on video him literally walking to the grid with Sergio Perez saying, yeah, I'm probably going to take a year out and come back 2024. Eh, maybe he knows what he's playing at. Maybe he knows what he's playing at. Maybe he knows when he's there. I don't maybe know. he's just going to tell Checo that Checo was probably thinking, I'll have to take a year out and then he's in Red Bull for three years' contract. So. Yeah, this is true. We'll see what happens. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's, the, there's the juicy gossip that we've for some reason right in the middle of this with uh, the Alpine news. Uh, we'll quickly rattle on to some bits that actually come up ahead of the Italian Grand Prix. Um, fan favourite Jacques Villeneuve is coming back to drive the Alpine for some reason. I don't think it's an FP1 drive, I think it's just a demonstration. There's thing. your mysterious fourth seat there. Yeah, weird one there. Uh, Science is going to receive some new hybrid elements for his power units with a grid drop expected for those. And speaking of grid drops. Get ready for more pain, it's going to start early. Yeah, it's not going to be fun. Uh, unless Ferrari find a way of getting rid of all that blasted downforce that's really making them very draggy down the straights. Um, Won't matter. It, oh, I really hope it does. Um, Yuki Tsunoda is also getting a 10-place grid job for a seatbelt reprimand, which follows on from his rather torrid Dutch Grand Prix, which neatly sums up all of our news ahead of the Italian Grand Prix. It's been 22 minutes, which makes... So far, the first section of this podcast as long as our last race preview. Um, anyway. That just shows how dull the Dutch Grand Prix was last year. Yeah. Yeah, we sort of rattled through that. Anyway, we'll move into previously at the Italian Grand Prix. It also shows how much news we front-loaded into the, the Belgian Grand Prix review yeah. as well. We spread things better this time. You get a more even even display of your news. And you get commentary about it during the episode itself. Yeah, it's great. Um, anyway, previously at the Italian Grand Prix, when did we last go there? 2021, but we've been racing at Monza since, and I haven't filled that gap in, but I'm going to assume it was the dawn of time. There were dinosaurs around when we first went to Monza. 1923, I reckon. You reckon? Before before Formula 1 was even Formula 1. Uh, let's see. Uh, Monza race circuit. So it's Monza uh, type properly circuit. There we go. Do, 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 do. Monza Circuit, we've hosted Formula One since 1950. We had a year's absence in 1980, so 1950 through 79 and 81 through present. But I'm assuming racing has been going on there. The, I'm seeing numbers 1949, I'm seeing some very early numbers on this list. Yeah. Uh, the first track, what do you see? What do you say? 1923. Don't leave us in suspense. The track was officially opened on the 3rd of September 
1922 with the maiden race the second Italian Grand Prix held on the 10th September 1922 you're close you're only one year out it gets mm. doesn't get your point on Pop Master I did, I did better than Ellie May on that guess she just was way off her yeah she, she, she wasn't even here to guess um, so yes we've been uh, racing Monza for a good old while though uh, how did the last time we went there pan out quite spicy according to my notes it was a sprint weekend Quali was a straightforward affair with a Mercedes 1-2 with Bottas on pole uh, Max who had never finished on the podium of Monza let alone uh, had finished fin- yeah finished in, on the podium there which is quite unusual considering his highest result in Monza being 5th place in the 2018 Grand Prix um, he qualified P3 so this looked like his best chance at setting a new PB actually in the race yeah. About that. About that. Obviously, Bottas had a grid drop for reasons. Uh, being Bottas. Being Bottas. I think it was power unit parts or something. So he started from the back of the grid or somewhere further down. And it was basically Max and Lewis at the front. No, it wasn't. No, it was... Uh, well, I don't know. Well, it shows... Wasn't the McLaren, was it? No, the McLarens were on the second row. They locked out the second row, I thought. Maybe it was Perez, then. We should probably do some googling. Let's see. Kind of forget about Paris. He oh, I don't want to say he's forgettable, but it's it's. Uh, uh, <laughs> Formula One that will take me in the right direction. I heard you get back a few times. Thank God for editing. Thank God for We just leave most of this stuff in. It it adds to the spice of things. Let's see. Italy, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one. Uh, the grid, the grid, the grid, the grid, the grid. So it was Bottas, Hamilton, Verstappen, Norris, Ricciardo at the end of the sprint, at the end of regular qualifying. The sprint saw it, Bottas, Verstappen, Ricciardo. Ah, Hamilton suffered a bit in the sprint. There we go. So, lining up on the grid at the start of the actual race race, Bottas, Verstappen, Ricciardo, Norris, Hamilton, Leclerc, Sainz, Giovinazzi, Perez, Stroll. And, uh, Bottas... It couldn't have been Bottas for the race because he would have stopping yeah, Bottas was required to start the race in the back of the grid for exceeding his quota of power unit elements. Pierre Gasly received a five-place grid penalty for an unscheduled gearbox change. He was also required to start in the back of the grid, exceeding his quota of power unit elements. He was then required to start the race in the pit lane for a new energy store specification. So, pretty torrid start for Pierre Gasly. Anyway... The race. Let's flick back to my notes. Uh, the sprint, as always, seem, as it always seems to, panned out badly for Pierre Gasly. He was run wide through Curva Grande, I think by Giovinazzi. Uh, Lewis lost a few places at the start, opening up a gap for the McLarens, who had qualified well. Danny Rick, in a fit of excellence that was unexpected, came home third with Norris fourth, as we've already mentioned. Bottas, like we said, demoted to back of the grid after exceeding his power unit elements, promoting Max to P1. His chance was now to win an Italian Grand Prix, or at least come home higher than fifth. Behind him with two McLarens acting as a buffer to Lewis in P4. The race started badly for Max as Danny Rick sent it on the brakes and passed him into Retifilio while Lewis passed Lando. The pressure was now on. Gio had a bad start, left the track and this time punted Carlos Sainz on his return instead of Pierre Gasly. Later, pit stop chaos saw the gap between Max and Lewis close up, something that had come to boil when Lewis pitted. As he came out of the pit lane, he squeezed Max on the exit and through turn one, forcing him wide onto the sausage curbs. Max got air and was catapulted into Lewis landing on top of him. The halo did its job and both retired from the race, leaving the McLarens to race away at the restart. This would mark Lewis's first retirement in 63 races, his last being the 2018 Austrian Grand Prix. Timo, you made some sort of complaintive noise. 
It was not as one-sided an affair as you made it out to I be. Think I think I reported... a racing accident with blame on both sides. I reported that quite neutrally, I think, because... He comes out and immediately makes a very aggressive move, but Max doesn't yield. You were saying that if that was the other way around, Max wouldn't have done exactly the same thing? I'm not saying Max wouldn't have done exactly the same thing, but I'm expecting at least one of the drivers to have yielded. That's what I was expecting. Which well, the two drivers in the heat of battle for a world championship at their level? Exactly. After Silverstone? Exactly, so it's a racing incident. Unlikely, very naive of you, Jesse. I expect smarter things from you. Yeah, so neither... But then again, I don't need to remind you about that wet racing spa, do I? What year was that again? Uh, yeah, not, not 1998, 2000. We'll let the people in the comments correct you. <laughs> Pretty sure it was like, shit. Which race are we talking about? Because there's loads of wet races. For... Yeah, it was Spa 98. See, I then <laughs> changed my mind as well. I got it wrong. Anyway, um... Yes. Daniel Ricciardo won anyway. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo went on to win the race, narrowly ahead of Lando Norris, who looked faster on track. This would be the Woking Outfit's first win since the 2012 Brazilian Grand Prix with Jensen Button, and Ricciardo's first win since the 2018 Monaco Grand Prix. Equally with Norris and P2, this marked the team's first 1-2 since Canada 2010 with Lewis and Jensen. Uh, Bottas somehow rounded out the podium, despite having started from somewhere near the back of the field. Uh, so kudos there. Bottas things. Just bot-ass things. Um, equally, senior sub Robert Kubica brought Kimi Raikkonen's Alfa Romeo home in 14th place, earning him P20 in the standings ahead of he who shall not be named. Uh, which is quite impressive. Cons- I didn't know Lord Voldemort raced in Formula 1. He did, um, but was outpaced by Robert Kubica, who only raced in two races of the season, yet still somehow outscored him. That's just talent for you. That's the, the raw talent of Robert Kubica, a man who very nearly had a world championship. Um, so the question is, who does it... Like Felipe Massa. Felipe Massa had a world championship for about 15 seconds. Um, the question is... That's as close as we're going to get any time soon, I reckon. <laughs> too soon. Too soon, Timo. Um... So the question is, who does the track favour historically? We'll be working with stats from 2000 until present, as after 1999, they tweaked Variante Retifilio from being a three-corner sequence to being a two-corner sequence. So out of the prior 22 runnings, Lewis has five wins, Schumacher Senior has three, as do Barrichello and Vettel. Montoya and Alonso have two, Rosberg, Leclerc, Gasly and Ricciardo have one each. Constructors-wise, it's seven wins for Ferrari, five for Mercedes, four for Mac- McLaren Mercedes, two for Red Bull uh, and Ren- Red Bull Renault, two for Alvatari and although was uh, one of those was as Toro Rosso and one for Williams BMW and one for Braun. So it's a very muddled array of stats actually, but uh, I've beautiful minded my way through it and I have no idea what to predict. Uh, the two previous races have spat out unforeseen winners. 2019 was the last typical race and Charles won for Ferrari. That year for... But even then, we wouldn't have necessarily thought that was a given thing at the time. Not particularly. Was, he won in Spa, but that was hard fought in some ways, and Monza after... It was still a Mercedes-dominant year, so it was just this weird Ferrari blip for three races in a row in Midland and that went back to kind of business as usual. Yeah, I think Vettel won a few weeks later in Singapore, though, in 2019. Singapore, yeah. because Ferrari decided that he should go race in both the strategy, accordingly. Yeah. But I think practice for later years. Equally, twenty nineteen. This was Ferrari when they had that hypercharged engine that was guzzling through fuel, but didn't matter because it was so quick, it was untouchable on the straights, and that sort of played into their advantage, especially Spa and Monza, two very power hungry circuits. 
Um, there's little suggest suggest they won't have a strong setup this time out. Um, so if, if I were to put money on it, I'm not going to. Honestly, I haven't a clue what to predict with the... You, you need that money so when you can buy some very expensive tissues at the track to wipe away the tears from the terrible disappointment. Drown my sorrows with a trackside beer, I think. Um, so the question is, what weather can we expect, or what weather, more importantly, can I expect at the trackside? So I'll just give a final refresh of the tab that I have open for weather forecasting. I predict it'll be sunny, except for where you are, where there'll be a little cloud following you around the place and it just rains on you the entire time. Like Mario Kart. Oh, it's the weather's updated. Okay, so am I right? No, not not really. Um, it's supposed to be pretty stormy in Italy at the moment. Uh, storms all the way through Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday's looking better with chances of showers. Saturday is looking overcast but dry, and then Sunday, sixty percent chance of rain through the day. It's looking like. Yes, so for Sunday it's saying times of clouds and sun with a couple of showers. 2.9 millimetres of precipitation in the form of rain, 46% cloud cover, 60% chance of rain and 12% chance of thunderstorms. So it could be a wet race. And equally if it is stormy, I'm camping, so hopefully my tent works like a Faraday cage and doesn't fry me or something. I was just going to say, hopefully it doesn't leak for you. Or leak, because uh, that's going to be... Never mind a wet race. Jesse's going to have a wet race of his own trying to get the hell out of that tent ASAP. Yeah, I don't want to get soggy and then have to fly with soggy sleeping bags and hold all, all the way back. Good thing I've got actually got more weight in my bags on the way back because of the unique tickets that I ended up purchasing because they're yeah, going to be water. There. Yeah, because it's I've got an extra 10 kilos, which is just going to be full of wet. Um, anyway... Uh, we'll move on from what weather we can expect to which on-track battles we should look for. Optimistically, when I wrote this, I was calling it a Ferrari clean sweep, but then I saw how pretty useless they were in Spa, so I think I might change so that. on-track battles should surely include Ferrari versus their strategists. Yeah, the on-track battle is going to be Ferrari versus themselves, especially considering they're going to be running special suits, which never seems to have a good turnout for the books. Um, and Red Bull's straight-line speed is pretty dominating at the moment, so might see a Max Verstappen win, although given his track record around Monza, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see a Sergio Perez win. a little bit into Lewis on, on that side of things, and that uh, he's just ticking off tracks that he's done badly at previously because he's added them to his collection. Um, and he's done that with a few already this year, backing being the obvious one that comes to mind. So, and Spa as well being done properly this year, because yes, last year technically counted, but it was better this year at least. So maybe it'd be... Uh, this will be the next one. Yeah, we'll see if he ticks it off. But, uh, well, we'll see if we think he's going to take it off with our predictions. Uh, we'll start off with our thoughts on pole position, Timo. I don't think I'll get a point for it, but I'm going to be optimistic on this and this only um, and hope that the Italians and Tifosi do for Charles Leclerc what the British do for Lewis Hamilton and give them that extra bit of pace in the car around his home circuit, or in this case, Ferrari's home circuit. So... Charles Leclerc, Paul. That's not bad. I've gone the other way. I can see something going a bit awry at Ferrari during qualifying, and Carlos Sainz getting pole for some reason. But he'll sort of give the slipstream to Charles, and Charles will whip past him or something. That's my general prediction. But yeah, Carlos Sainz, pole. Ellie Mays played the sensible card, really. Linked into the. Which is unusual to say in the same sentence, Ellie Mays, sensible. So it's. it's... 
Yeah. Especially Monza as well. We don't. We'd like to be right ourselves, but she probably shouldn't get a point. For this. Yeah, she'll likely get a point for this. It's Max Verstappen is her prediction for pole, which is quite fair given the pace of that Red Bull and uh, Sergio Perez's qualifying habits, where you come out of a one hundred and eighty degree turn onto the main straight and not bin it. I mean, I think every year, for the last few years anyway, someone has gone off at some point of the weekend out of that last corner. Yeah. I mean, Charles did last year. Not in qualifying, but Charles did last year. Was it last year he did that? Yeah, it was. No, it was the year before. The year before that, wasn't it? 2020. Did someone crash there last year? I'm sure someone did, and if not F3, there was a big crash there as well. I can't remember the name of the drive now. It was driving Campos, there was a big, big crash there. Yeah. Um, I feel like Kimmy might. No, not Kimmy. He wasn't there last year. But Giovinazzi, maybe. Possibly. We'll wait and see. Anyway, that's besides the point. So, uh, podiums, please. I have now been sensible and gone for Max Verstappen for a win. Like I say, he's going to be ticking off another track that he hasn't added to his collection. Lewis Hamilton is second, Carlos Sainz somehow in third, despite the fact that it should be Charles Leclerc, but they inevitably bugger his strategy up. And Carlos, despite his penalty for his PU, manages to claw his way back up onto the podium. Why have you gone for Lewis Hamilton second? The Mercedes doesn't have that much straight line speed. No, but Perez will disappear somewhere and George will be too busy fighting Carlos that Lewis will get the switch during a pit stop, perhaps, and Charles, as I said, will get bugged by Ferrari. So, process of elimination. Mm, okay, I'll allow it. Uh, I've gone for a Ferrari 1-2, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, and then George Russell. You don't want points this season, do you? I'm an optimist. I never said I'm a realist. <laughs> uh, yeah, Charles Leclerc first, Carlos Sainz second, George Russell third, which I feel is more attainable for the Mercedes than second. We should really get that quote on merch for when the podcast speaker of just the end of the podcast. We're optimists. We shouldn't say we're realists. Yeah, <laughs> that's wholly the vibe of this podcast so yeah, there's, there's my idea for Podium and Ellie Mae has gone again kind of sensible similar route in yeah, sim- um, terms of first place saying Max Verstappen she's gone for Red Bull and two Perez in, in second then and then uh, Charles O'Hare in third which which will probably be a case of if Zangorton go by Charles be leading the race and the team come onto the radio and say yeah we're looking at third for a race finish are you happy with that? Well, no first what do you mean, looking at third? Um, fastest lap. Both you and Anyway have gone quite sensible again. Max. It's like just like you say, the speed of that Red Bull at the moment with him in it, it just it reminds me of Lewis 2020. It's just untouchable. Yeah, and equally coming down that main straight, most it's not a tight turn to come out of, so he'll be able to feed the power on and really get some speed out of it. It's the opposite of... So got a straight with a bit of a slingshot to have a straight where if you're needing to go past a lapped car or just anyone really you can just do that yeah. pretty damn quickly and easily I reckon we're going to see some interesting speeds through the speed trap at the end of the, the start finish line that's going to be maybe interesting maybe a new lap record for Monza ooh depends how nailed down through the Lesmos that Red Bull is which I wouldn't be surprised at especially if it's mm. going to be dry um I've gone the opposite to you two I've gone for a Ferrari and I've gone for Charles Leclerc with the fastest lap because again Optimist, not realist. Uh, we'll move straight on to our wild predictions. And, yeah, Timo, we'll start with be, you. I'm going to be a realist and not an optimist here. <laughs> going off, uh, if I'm going to be the opposite of Jesse here. 
Um, I say that Mick Schumacher finishes higher than a Ferrari. Don't know which one, but uh, I don't think I need to bother with it. I mean, Ellie may be suitably vague with her Aston Martin prediction for the Dutch Grand Prix, and it works out for her. So hey, I've long I was going to switch this for something else, but I think this would be a great place for Mick to to beat like the the, the older sister team there, and to show that he can, even if it's only 14th and 15th. You can still beat him for mm. I mean, I've long championed slightly vague predictions because they do occasionally pay off. Um, such as this one. Such as this one, which is just five retirements. Not going to say who, just five. So, does it count if it's Daniel Ricciardo retiring from the sport? Yeah, five retirements this season. <laughs> from, from the sport. Uh, no, five retirements from the race. Not going to specify who, because that has never paid off for me before, and I don't think it ever will. Um, Ellie May's world prediction is Sergio Perez takes a penalty due to a new power unit. Which which looks quite unlikely because they've already swapped out the one he booted in qualifying for an older one, so they wouldn't get a penalty, and it seems like Monty would be an odd place to do it. Um, maybe it wouldn't be because you've got more chance overtaken there than you perhaps do at, at some Singapore and Japan but at the same time nah it's a it's, it's an odd one <laughs> it's my sound logic yeah. not, not convinced on that one which is a, a pretty pretty decent point to finish on really isn't it as good as anything I'd say I mean it's, it's Monza it should be exciting if anything from the last three years is anything to go by so the only person I wouldn't want to be is Daniel Ricciardo because historically, the last few years, you win the Grand Prix, you retire from it the following year. So... Yeah. Or you wouldn't want to be me if my tent leaks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, don't be don't be Ferrari, don't be Daniel Ricciardo, and don't be Jesse. That is the advice we can give you in this podcast. Pretty sound advice, to be fair. Not a terrible disappointment should we end yeah we should uh, Timo where can the people find you you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs the Nigel Irox podcast Panoxority and Instagram very good where can people find yourself uh, you can find me on Instagram Twitter and in print in Classic Car Weekly just in any good news agents or supermarkets and for this weekend and this weekend alone you can find me in Monza in Italy and if you want to find Ellie Mae too she will be back for a later episode of the podcast uh, you can find her on Instagram where she writes her key takeaways on the Undercut Podcast Instagram account you can also find her over on TikTok where she has the keys to the podcast TikTok account and does all the good videos for us there so that's plenty to keep you occupied uh, we will see you after the Italian Grand Prix where I will be bringing you some fresh perspective from the trackside. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>